Hey, y'all. It's Monica. This is part two of my conversation with Joni McGarry on the report from Iron Mountain. If you haven't heard part one, it's in my feed already, Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you hate the commercials, I try to weed out the commercials that are truly offensive, but I'm sure some get in there. That is how I pay my producer, though. So if you hate the commercials, it's a win-win for both of us if you sign up for Deep Dives Premium on iTunes. It's only on iTunes for now. But if you want to see this in video form, as soon as it comes out in its entirety, it's already there, actually, on rockfin.com slash deep dives. And you can also check my feed on Rumble. It's Monica Perez Show on Rumble. So without further ado, please enjoy part two of my conversation with Joni on the report from Iron Mountain. I think it's easier to rule a population that's at each other's throats. You know, if you, and it's, well, and they also, it's like this societal stability. They don't, like when they say stability is a, it, we, it, the assumption is it's a, um, a desire of either war or peace. And that's just, that's just not true. They don't want stability. War is instability, right? It is. War is instability. It's instability at home. It's instability abroad. And I think if, it's just so much easier to keep people in line if you're at each other's throats and you're not looking up. Right, but it's the stability of the hierarchy. And that reminds me of the book Conjuring Hitler I've mentioned a few times where, according to Guido Preparata, if I read it correctly, he was saying that the British saw all the unrest in, in Germany and were looking for somebody who was going to kind of emerge as a powerful person uh, who they could support that would destroy German society, but not destroy the financial system. And, and so when they talk about stability, they don't, they don't necessarily mean social stability. I think they're just talking about hierarchical maintenance. I think that's clear over and over again. But that's not what they say, but that's what they mean. You're right. Yeah, but it's obvious that's what they mean because they talk about destabilizing things constantly. Every single one of these things is fundamentally destabilizing it just doesn't necessarily topple the top, like because it fits into the same scaffolding that's keeping them afloat. Right. And if you if you just see, like I keep wanting to say, well, just do it slowly, dismantle it slowly, and you know, society is self ordering. Something will emerge organically, and that's the that's the one thing they cannot have. Well, I hope that could happen, but you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking about how if you were going to move toward a one world government, which is you know the stated goal, you know, of, you know, if you were to, everybody wants peace, let's eliminate war. So let's eliminate borders. Let's have a one world government. This would be the game plan to do that. Right. There would be so many things in this that would lead toward that. I think. Uh, I want you to clarify that. I think I do. I definitely see that with the pandemic and the aliens that it is like when you, when you get to the humanity based thing versus the enemies, the outside, yes, it would be the world government would be the new hierarchy. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, something yeah. else? That, that, that would be, that would be the stable hierarchy and everybody else would be kept in place using these methods, whether it be, um, 
euphemistic slavery, you know, they would just be on a bigger scale. You know, it's like a playbook to keep people in control. And the way they're normalizing the, uh, the systems like that, the technology and stuff, like things are getting very regimented. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to control it on a bigger and bigger level when they all have the same features, especially if it's digital and remote. It's very easy to see that because you can absolutely control everything when you do it that way. But yes, so in order to have something super, super big, it has to be uniform mm -hmm. or it can't be controlled from a very central location. All right. So the ecological thing, this is, again, another one that the, I guess we're, we're just for me, like it's just amazing what just happened to us and that it checks every box. The ecological one. So the ecological is population and resource management. And they talk about things like migration, starvation, nukes, environmental catastrophe as a way to control the population. But you're right. It is unequivocal for them that population that uh, reproduction needs to be centrally controlled and not controlled at the regular level. Yeah. And not natural. Um, so, and that, that also goes like, and that's kind of happening now, like a just like the sort of um, getting us used to the fact that, you know, women don't have babies, you know, people with uteruses have babies um, that men can breastfeed, um, you know, and, and that a family or a mother, and it's like, you know, breastfeeding's unnatural or, you know, like all these crazy ideas. Oh yeah. Right. And that yeah. is one of the premises of brave new world, right? That, that this mother comes on the scene with her child and everyone's like, Oh, it's a mother because they don't have mothers anymore. <laughs> they don't have them. Yeah. Right. It's disgusting. And so, yeah, that was very interesting. And also just the, again, you know, destroying the world, destroying the planet to keep people in line. And then, and you've made the point of like, that they've already, they're saying in this thing, true or false, that they're already underway with, uh, with something that would just sterilize everybody and then require an antidote. And I would say, I can give you two examples of that. One is taking reproductive age women out of the, out of the home by like, uh, you know, I've, I've witnessed personally people going for jobs who were literally turned down because there had to be women in that spot. So they're like, we can't give you this job because we have to put a woman in this job. Right. Right. We just don't have enough women this high up. And my answer is like, if I had known that that was the way it was going to be, like, then I might have made a different decision personally. Like, so you, I could, you, maybe you would have thought, wow, I'm going to really rise. I'm the one. Yeah. I'm the one who has to do this because I'm the one who's not going to hit that glass ceiling. So, so. Um, so they're, it's accelerating is what I'm saying. Like they are now not only just encouraging women to get out of the home and into the workplace. They're saying that the, the only way to support a family is for the woman to be out there. And I remember when M M Marissa Meyer, I think her name was, uh, was appointed to be the absolute head of Yahoo when she was, I think, seven months pregnant. And I was like, wow, they're like, I, I, what are they saying that, that she can, and I didn't expect her to be successful and I don't think she was, but I was like, they're just negating like any commitment to motherhood. Right. I mean, that's just a job you could not be a mother and do, you know what I mean? Like someone else has to be the mother of your child while you're doing that job. That's exactly right. And I, I know you, we get a lot of flack for saying that, but you can have anything. You can't have everything, you know, very good. You yes, just yeah. can't. 
I even knew that though. I was like, I'm not going to be the breadwinner because I have to take care of the kids. So I would always defer to my husband's career. But then I started to think, ah, if I had known, maybe I should have just, but I, you know, I don't want to do that. But I, but yes, so that is one big way that they are just taking reproduction out. Oh yeah. And also, um, I don't know how much of the trans agenda is to do that more or if it's something more sinister and nefarious, but that also does it putting kids on hormone blockers. And there's also, you know, all of the crap, all of the unhealth in our society, um, fertility, why should there be such a fertility problem? You know, really? Why? And the vax is obviously going to make that worse, but you're right. Not just the trans stuff, but the LGBTQ thing like is absolutely, I mean, homosexuals do not procreate with each other. Like that's just, you know, that is, if you can increase the percentage of the population that engages in non procreative sex, I mean, obviously it's, it's going to have an impact, but they also, there was a corn and I believe like Bill Gates bought it, but I could just be making that up. The corn was called a A corn, corn called epicyte, E-P-I-C-Y-T-E. I believe it's how you spell it. It's, you can look it up on Wikipedia is a corn they develop that sterilizes males. And I'm thinking, what legitimate purpose, you know what I mean? Like, what legitimate purpose could you possibly have for creating that? Well, as somebody from the food industry, my thought is, why corn? (laughs) Because I think because Mexicans eat it. That's what I think. I think it was about the South American Mexican population. That's really what I think. Well, and they and, uh, want they want to get rid of men, you know, either by right, feminizing so them. I, I don't know if I can truly be an anarchist because I feel like the people who did that are criminals and right. need to go to jail. <laughs> but but that would be a situation like this is saying where everyone is sterilized and you need the antidote. So you need to be like a rich forty year old woman to get IVF, let's say, or maybe to get the antidote to the bad corn. Every yeah, everything would be. Everything is decided by the Politburo. Or pay extra for non-GMO organic food. Right, right. Like only the rich people can do that. Like Whole Foods is a, is a, is regulation, is voluntary regulation. People are willing to pay double for stuff that's highly regulated. Right. And I mean, that would automatically, so only the lower classes would get the stuff like this. Right. And they don't have to worry about the upper classes overproducing because they don't. Well, you've seen um, Idiocracy probably. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it was uh, prescient. So Um, great. No, but then, yeah, I think think this stuff is happening. I don't know what their end plan is. Um, But after reading this and after living through the last couple of years, um, you know, I would have probably, if I, if, Joni from five years ago met Joni today, I would be like, oh my God, you're such a conspiracy theorist. But once you experience one area where you become educated about it and you know the truth and you experience things in real life and then you read about and listen to what's being told to you, then if you don't get it after that, you're not awake at all because you, you, you want you, to not get it. You just want to not get it or you can't wake up. It's the ethical glass ceiling. It's like you cannot see the truth because it's too, it's updike. It's you can't convince a man of something if his wallet depends on him not knowing it. That's so true. It's yeah, I so mean, it's true. Just, it's, the, it's what's happening. And, and we are so far afield from this in a way. We've actually gone uh, through the entire thing almost, except for, and then I want to get to like 
so we've obviously talked a lot about the pandemic and stuff, but I had other other candidates that I think are happening in parallel or uh, in other elements of society, whatever, like that hits some, but not all. The pandemic, definitely, and climate change, I think, also. But the last element was, and I didn't take it too super seriously because he didn't take it super seriously, but I think it is important, especially as like a litmus test of what's going on, is the cultural and scientific stuff, which he lumps together. Right, which is weird that he lumped him together. It was in, in, it was almost a, an afterthought. It's creation. It's creation. It's science creation, and they don't need it. That's not necessary. I actually think they want to not have that. Well, they don't, you know, and I think part of the reason people don't want creatives and they don't want us to create and bring it to the world is because it's a uniquely human experience to create. Um, and I think that if people are creating things, they're tapped more into their humanity. Does that sound? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it is because you can manifest abstractions from your own mind and no one else can do that because there's no reason for it. It is, it's the waste he's looking for, but it's beautiful waste. Right. And it's also, um, again, I think that they want, and I don't even know like they capital, they, you know, we talk about they a lot. And I know that I know one of our daughters would be like, well, who is they, who is they? Like who is they, right? But I think that one thing people we we have a humanity, but it gets um, dimmed and diminished when we're just receivers of somebody else's stuff, right? And this is occurring to me as I'm saying it. Like if you're sitting there and you're watching somebody else's stuff, if you're addicted to this series or that, and I'm not saying people shouldn't be entertained. It's fun, you know. I'm reading books, you know. I'm doing things, but when you create something, when you have an idea. And even if like you're not a good artist, but you create something or you make a meal or you do something for someone else, that's a creation. That's a hum that's humanity. And I think that locking people down, dumbing them down with bad, bad food, um, shooting them up with pharmaceuticals, um, giving them a constant diet of bad entertainment, that, that is dimish, diminishing your human impulse. Is that too dramatic? No, not at all. And as a matter of fact, I I used to catch glimpses of what I did not know what it was, but I used to really like to make, you know, a good spreadsheet. I really enjoyed that. I liked math, but it was nothing a good compared to is very Yeah, satisfying. I mean, when it really hums like you're the shit. But uh but but I remember the radio show, so I was kind of just accidentally got this radio show just talking to some uh, a person is one of my very best friends now, but I just met her randomly and she just, you know, we had a conversation like you and I are having right now and she just thought it was great. And I, uh, so then I got this radio show and all of a sudden I had that experience of being proud of something I created, but actually even more, what I got more out of was I just, I did a blog. So I would sometimes just write these articles and it would take me, somebody's like, Oh, give me an article a day. You can, you can contribute to my blog. An article a day. Okay. <laughs> it takes me like eight hours to write. <laughs> what are you kidding? He's just like that thing about the driverless trucks. And I was like, it was a work of art. Right. It was it was carefully crafted. <laughs> yes, I was like I read like there is not a single like word that you're going to stumble over in that article, and it completely you know it's as concise as but like I just loved. It. I had so much pride of I would read it myself. Like, I would read it like two or three times, and it was I'm just dumb stuff like literally driverless trucks, and uh, I just uh, I got so much pleasure out of it, yes. and then. The evil machine ate my WordPress site and I, know. and I never blogged again. Like it just took that 
it took it out. Uh, it took it away from me. You know, it's my own fault. Like you can, whatever. Don't, I'm it's, not but, complaining. But, it's, but it's not your own fault. Right. Right. But I could, I could triumph. I could triumph, but I'm, I did have that experience of, of a creation and there's just nothing like it. And even this house, I got this old house and I'm fixing it up and it's almost finished. And like when things go wrong, it like makes me sick. And when things go right, I have such absolute total joy and it has a, it definitely has an experience of nesting. Like my husband does not understand what I'm doing yeah. here. Like why I take it so seriously. And I was super in like a crisis because I thought I was too materialistic, that I cared too much about it. And I don't think so because I'm really not that materialistic. There's something about creation and achievement and stuff that's like really important and made of stone. Like right. it's got, you know, you want. It's true. And I think it, there's a difference between, um, the joy of ownership versus materialism. Like, you know, you own this house or you're on your way to owning the house. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And it, it, you care more about something that's yours. You know, it's yeah, like it I, goes to I, the tragedy of the commons, right? So, you know, yes. when, when you have your child, when you have your, it, when you create something, you care about it. You're bringing something forth. And I yes. think that's, I, again, I think it's a, a thing that we've gotten so far away from as a society. And that's funny because that's the exact analogy that Gal used for the show. Like, and and same thing with my house. People are like, why don't you just get somebody to help you? And we're like, because I don't want somebody to help me. I want to make it just right for us. And no, right. no one's going to know that. But she used to say about the radio show, she would say, like, no one can tell you because you have to think of it as your baby. Like, it's your baby, and you have to deliver that baby, and you're going to raise that baby, and it's your baby, and you have responsibility for it. And yes, it was, it's exactly like that. And, uh, but it's, it's something that I, as a, as like a, a little mathematon, I really never had that experience. And it, and it's, it's a great one. It's, it's so expansive. Like, so it's before I said it's beautiful waste. It's really not waste. It's just, it just taps into a different dimension. Yes. That and they don't recognize here. What do you mean they don't recognize here? This report from Iron oh, Mountain no. does not recognize that we have souls at all, that humanity is special in yes. any way. And that's why I think that's also the, the drive behind the you will own nothing. And it's not just because they don't want you to accumulate generational wealth or build wealth or any of those things that are so important to human experiences. Um, and I'm not talking like big wealth. I'm just saying anything. I think part of the reason they want to do that is to take away the joy of something that's your own. Like if, you're, if your baby's coming out of a test tube, and I'm not talking about IVF or people that do that. If it's just random, like that's how babies are born and they're raised somewhere else, that joy has gone. Like, so, yes. and that's just the, you know, so it seems really abstract, but I think it's important. I mean, they took away, they took away church. Like you talked about the sacraments, you know, they were gone during the pandemic for many people. Oh my gosh. I, I, you must've heard that. Like I did, I cried. I did not mean, you know, I don't even consider myself religious. Literally. It's very hard for me to like totally absorb, you know, accept all this stuff. But I was really, uh, upset when they took the sacraments away. But I also think that the welfare state, that the actually the primary purpose of the welfare state is to rob us of the ability of being a human community. Yeah. It, and it also takes away people's dignity. Yeah. Of trying to help people. It's very racist. I think it's very, and just for, we should have to help each other and we want to. Like when I, in Connecticut, all the wives and stuff of the bankers I used to work for, 
they spent all of their time fundraising. Right. Now, it was for art and opera, and sometimes it was for poor kids and sick kids and stuff. It was for just a variety of things. They got their social status from service and generosity. And people would make fun of them for it because they were wearing Chanel suits. And I'm like, this is how society should be. Gentlemen scholars and artists and these women. Well, and, that, and those women are able to do it because they have big earning husbands. And that's, that's why they're able to do it or they choose to do it because they don't have to make a living. But I will go further and say that the women's movement, and I know if any of my friends listen to this, they're going to be like, ah, you're such a traitor. The women's movement started to destroy that kind of level of community because in a community who did like, we have a homeless problem and it's multifactorial and there are a lot of reasons for it. We have a lot of problems in communities, but one of the reasons we have those problems is because women are now not available and not interested in, or not encouraged to, and I I shouldn't say, I guess it is women. I'm going to be, I guess I'll be sexist, but the stay at home spouse who is raising the family, those were the people who did those things through your church, through your club, you know, you, you put luncheons on for people, you raised money for the hospital, you went in and you were a candy stripe, you cared for the sick, you did those things. You don't do, nobody, people don't do that anymore. And who does it? The government does it. Of course. And that is the purpose. But I will say part of the homeless thing and part of that lack of community is society is too big. And if like our, our central units are too big and part of that, like Pasadena, was a, which is basically where, where I'm living close to Pastina. They had a huge problem. They were pretty conservative. I think it's where Wright's life was back in the sixties. Like it was kind of like Orange Beautiful. County. I think. Beautiful yeah. It's community. really, that's why we moved to, we like went to the Rose Bowl once and we're just like, this is nice. And so let's, we're moving to LA. Let's move there. Not realizing it's like expensive. Right. <laughs> like you would think if it's not near the cool, beach. Though. Yeah. It's super beautiful. Um, but they did a lot of busing back in the day. And so our school, the place that we moved to send our kids, we couldn't send our kids to the school because it had deteriorated so much. But we knew old timers there who said it was great, like the Little League Park, whatever, like this, the baseball park was across from the school and everybody was on the same teams and everything. And once they bust kids from other places in from like the poor sides, it, it wasn't so bad for the rich people who lived there because they all went to like the church schools or whatever. But those kids who were bused away from their families, their parents weren't coming to their games. They weren't playing. They didn't have community anymore. What was the point of taking people from one side of town and having them go to school as far away as possible from the other side? You know, you would have been better off just giving them money if you had to, you know? What do you think the point was? I think that was the point, and it, yep. boy, did it work. It These kids work. were then taking, when I was witnessing it, they were taking city buses, city buses to school, and I just was like, they, these, they, they're totally disconnected from their families. Whereas, in, you know, I, I was a stay-at-home mom. I could, I could run around after my right. kids, and we all did do the same. But that, um, that noblesse oblige that your, you know, the investment bankers wives, whatever. I mean, it, it's a social standard and it may be inherent. It may be some more religious, some weren't, but that's a, that's a social pressure. And yes, it's because the husbands had the money to do it. However, they felt they had to give some back. Right. And again, my point on the, the, that they had the money to do, it wasn't a slam. I'm not, a, I don't, right, I don't right. hate the rich. I was just right, saying but that, that in itself is, is an example of of the self-ordering of society that yes. he, that this 
this document will not allow. Well, and I, it, it's not just this document anymore. It's every, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's the it's, yeah, it's the working plan of you know our our town, our city government doesn't allow. Like nobody allows things to cohesively take care of themselves. They don't want that because that would in, that means a thinking connected population that is uh, obligated to each other primarily and not upward. Yes. And, and they, so the art thing, they were saying it would be devoid without, without war, it would be just meaningless, devoid abstractions. But I will say when you listen to rap and stuff, gangster rap, that's war. Like they have not, you know, I think that's evidence that they continue to use war as the basis of society. They did say that science and and I would say science is still driven by war. Like defense is right. the mother of tech. Uh, but also the pandemic, it just really, it really solves that. It keeps that science going. Well, and the pandemic was a dart. It was a, de- a defense operation. The whole, pan- the whole the pandemic response in the U.S. was run out of the Department of Defense. Oh, yes. That was that little Trump thing. Like, isn't that, isn't that weird in January of 2020? Like they all went to a room and, you know, it was kind of even before the pandemic. And then they kind of like came up with this plan. Remember that? It was so bizarre because it didn't get a lot of press and I didn't even really focus on it that much, but yeah, they were, they were planning the next two years in the war room. That's true. So what else, what other, what other phenomena do you think fall into the category of replacing some of these the stuff that war does in economic social anything whatever it is well the the global warming threat you know the you know the ginning up of pollution either figuratively or in this talk they were talking about literally literally how much poisoning of the environment would we have to actually do to create a credible threat like that's how it read to me so i think you know, I think they're using that in a way, you know, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of the earth. I think we should. Um, but it's being used as a way to funnel us into more control, clearly. Yes. And just like creating pathos, like as the enemy, like drugs and whatever, domestic terrorism, they're creating the negative for the enemy. The climate change thing they said we could just stop our pollution mitigation efforts and things would get really unwieldy quickly. Mm-hmm. But but what they did was they they switched the definition of pollution to an illusion. Like CO2, of all the things that we're dumping into the atmosphere and into the earth, CO2 is the building block of life. Like that is what the plants, you know, so they they actually did not identify any genuine pollutants except CO2 weaponized a thing that's good. And now they have that enemy. It's everywhere. It's insurmountable. The more you, it's almost like intentional iatrogenic, like, you know, the cure causes the disease. The more you reduce CO2, the fewer trees you have and the less natural cleansing occurs. And it's, so I just thought that was very clever, (laughs) very clever little approach. Well, they are very clever and people are very, um, uncurious. And they're, they aren't going to see it. They just follow the propaganda, which they don't talk about. See, that would have been an interesting. Yeah. They didn't talk about propaganda. I mean, indirectly they do. They talk about the creation of like an enemy that's credible, but they didn't talk at all about the media. They didn't talk about uh, the messaging. They didn't talk about the marketing, um, 
you know, and I'm just not realizing none of that made it into the plan. I think they assumed they could fit, they could make it work, but the like the aliens, it feel felt too far fetched. Which is funny because now they're doing the whole alien thing. I guess they've gotten us. We've dumbed us down enough for that. So yeah, climate change. I totally agree with you there. Yeah, like just the thing. Other thing that struck me: establishing the antisocial as a form of an alternative enemy. And I just thought, well, the unvaccinated. Um, yes, no, and, and I also think this domestic was a terrorists. Run. And, and yeah, which terrorists? Domestic terrorists are the same as like the unvaxxed, like they're what, whatever, however you said it, you just said a phrase that I thought was perfect, like the sociological enemy. Oh, it wasn't my phrase. It was from there. Establishing the antisocial as a form of alternative energy, ener- enemy. And yeah, you know, so you could say that Maga. somebody, right. So somebody who wouldn't roll up their sleeve is antisocial. Somebody oh, who said, yes. you know, wow. I, 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 I'm not on board with this Biden presidency. You know, it, it didn't smell right to me. I, you know, I, I have questions about the election. You're anti-social. Yeah. You know, and, and it's. You don't have to be wrong. That's interesting. You don't no, have, you to, don't be have to be wrong. I mean, if you support school choice, if you go to school board meeting and you don't want certain like filthy books in the community, yeah. I mean, I can't even believe I'm this person. I mean, I used to be so different. Me too. The books are shocking. It's shocking. shocking. You can't turn a blind eye. No. And I, so there's just so much. And I think they've weaponized like, you know, what is a domestic terrorist? Is it a person who's a citizen that deserves no due process? Because that's right. That's, you know, what it will be. But to the, to the book thing, I believe they made them shocking so that you and I had to take a side. And now we're, now we're the enemy. Right. I I think I've heard you say that before. And I think that's really true. And it's so hard not to fall into that trap. And and I see people doing it on Twitter all the time. They'll post something. It's so outrageous. And then you go like, well, it's not really what it is, but it gets ginned up and posted. and, And then they collect all our data. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm, I actually have punched through to the other side where I, I feel like I have nothing to fear because I'm just out there. Like I, there are people right. who, who are anonymous and they can stay that way. And maybe you should watch what you say or write or whatever. But I feel like what, what defense could I possibly have? Too late for you. <laughs> totally. It's too late. You know, it's too late, too late for, for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on a list and I don't even do anything. I mean, I'm terribly outrageous i mean i just wanted kids to have a choice to not put that shot in their arms no but you have courage and that in itself is what they can't that's why i think joan rivers was killed because she had courage and integrity that's that's all you need she was yeah so i had a few more i have um also foreign terrorism i think was something like radical islamic terrorism that they were already working on at the time Mm -hmm. Um, that was a big one. But again, like domestic terrorism and stuff, these things are warlike. I feel like they, if they chose terrorism, the answer was you cannot do without war, right? So peace was not the choice. These are substitutes for war, but they're warlike. Yeah, I think that the the the, the premise that we're really going to prepare for peace, I think that's just, you know, it's bullshit. Right. They don't want peace. Well, they and- said it might break out accidentally. Right. Yes. You know, they were worried about that. It breaks out and ruins the world. And look, like when Putin (laughs) took over Russia, he, I believe he asked to join NATO. Like that's a rumor that he floated recently. And even if he didn't, he, I consider. He wanted to be treated like a European country. 
And, um, you know, I'm not saying none of these people are good people, but he wanted in and they're like, I'm sorry, we need an enemy. Yep. And now look at what we're doing and we're, we're sacrificing all of the Ukrainians for it. And everybody who flies that stupid flag thinking, you know, they're, I can't even, that's well, but watch the morning news. I know. But if you looked back anyway, I used to cover it on my show in 2013 and 2014 and all of all of those shows have been erased, but I have I still have all my blog posts where I had all the references of what was going on there. It was undeniable what was happening then. But I really feel like as you see the Rand Corporation documents and other things over the years that like demonize Russia, demonize Russia, and then you read this where they need an enemy, they must have war. They must have hot it. war, cold war, they have to have it. And then I start to think somebody like China, which was brought into the fold by the Rockefellers in the 70s from, I mean, that corporate report thing and other sources, I, I could see just as easily, maybe Putin, maybe not Putin, but certainly China, because they were completely in on Event 201, although I didn't see any Russians at the table, completely in on it. If you if you made a presentation like this to them and say, so we have to have a war, are you guys good with that? And be like, sure, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, fine. what's in it for us? Good, okay, yes, right. We've all got our bunkers, little Doctor Strange love <laughs> around the same time. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, the loss of innocence and and to have to live looking at everything like this. I mean, I'm glad, but it's 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 a loss. It's bad, you know, it's and just, they know that. That's why. Yeah, they, it, I think it's part of like. There is a, we, we all are feeling a general malaise. We know something's bad. We know something's wrong. And even if you're not awake, you know it anyway. You know, and it doesn't have to be that way because when I think about the 80s, I was a kid and when Reagan was president and I only now look back and see like the debt, like the debt is literally could be on a log scale, like the <laughs> amount of debt. So yeah. I looked at that. So I look back and I think the whole 80s thing was an illusion. It was an illusion of joy and peace and hope. And it, it was, was so much fun. And it, it was, was real. So good. It was yeah. an illusion and that I, made it manifested itself. It became real. And uh, and now we have the same kind of debt situation, the same kind of exponential growth in debt, but the atmosphere is malignant. And they don't it doesn't have to be. They're doing that. After reading this, I'm like, they're just doing it. They're deciding. No, I agree with you. And I think like, I I just think about New York in the late 80s and early 90s. And now my son has just moved to New York. And um, it's, it's, it's um, deliberate. I mean, New York's going to be San Francisco in not too distant future. And it doesn't, I agree, it doesn't have to be this way, but um, it is. No, and and they are going to transfer. What else? Did, Did you have other yeah, there was a review just just to the the general thought about like how we think about government. There was a review that I read in the Massachusetts Review of this book um, that was contemporary with it. it was 1968, and the guy said, um, "For a while, reviewers and reporters wondered whether this book could really be the work of an official commission. After all, we live in a time when we think nothing can be too outrageous for government to do or imagine doing." This is 1968. Wow. And then he, go, he goes on to say, our rulers have to assist them the greatest horde of intellectual sophisticates in human history. Countless professors of all disciplines are panting to have their skills and insight used by government, preferably in confidential or even secret ways. The academy is not good enough for them. The world of affairs is so tempting, 
so challenging, so inexhaustibly and multifariously lucrative. Wow. So I just thought that was, um, 68, 68. And it just made, it just, it disabuses you with the notion that, um, things are so different now. There's so, I know my father used to warn me about this stuff and I think, I think he would be shocked. He would be shocked at the capitulation during lockdown. And I a hundred percent think that's because there was a Republican in office. That if it had been a Democrat, the Republicans would have risen up. The people. You would have had a march on Washington like you've never seen before if Hillary signed emergency orders that empowered governors to lock down states. Oh, Trump was right where he needed to be. That's what I think. Because I tried to, because I went on all the Obamacare rallies. So I wrote to all those people who organized them. I mean, in support, in support of it. I was, (laughs) I wasn't young Joni. I was young Monica. (laughs) So I, I, I went and it was like Glenn Beck. It was Freedom Works. It was like a lot of people were there. And I just, you know, I didn't, I have no status. I don't know anybody there, but I would like tweet at them. Hey, can we go march on Washington again? You know, and they're, and they're like, the word is that you're supposed to stick to your state, like go to your governor. And I'm like, but we need to, you know, we need a show of force. And I kept saying, let's do July 4th, 2020. I was like, and they're like, what are you marching against? I was like, I don't know the, you know, authorizing all of this from, from downtown. I don't know. And nobody wanted to do it. And I feel like if it had been Hillary, they couldn't have stopped people from going. Right. Right. That's really interesting. No, I think that people are so blinded by what side, you know, what wing of the bird, as you said, is in office. Right. So, uh, the other, there were a few others I thought were interesting and that they mentioned, or like, I got the idea from it. One is like immigrants or minorities or an organized ethnic repression. And I can think of, you know, Chinese immigrants, Jews, blacks, Spanish, like all these, all this stuff that these groups that are identified as uh, oppressed or whatever, I don't know, minorities of any kind that there has to be someone, I, I, I'm not trying to pile on Trump, but there has to be someone who says bad things about them. Like, he had to come out and say, like, they're rapists and everything. Like, that would fit the bill for this. And I know he said, and some of them are nice people. Like, I know he said that. But right. that would fit the bill for this to demonize them. And I did a lot of work on the Kate Steinley case and the guy, the immigrant who was the, he, she was the woman who was shot on the pier in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And the guy who shot her, like the bullet ricocheted, he was somebody gave him drugs. He woke up with a gun in his hand. He was an immensely ill immigrant. Uh, and it's awful. just a, a long story. But the DA, the public defender who defended him, was also a filmmaker making a film about this. And he was, I think, murdered he was you know died under incredibly raunchy circumstances that did not fit his personality at all and i just think he was murdered for like that whole thing but it launched this it launched trump's campaign and it launched um oh because they were this, able to like, immigrate to vilify- yes the immigrants yeah, yeah. so i feel well, like that's not the first time that's happened no but i feel like if you're going to use it as like a really widespread movement as that like element in society that's big and bad that can get 
cohesiveness. So I always say Trump brought identity politics to the right. So, so that's what they want, right? They want the whole or like the money people or the majority or half of the people or whatever to have an enemy. And it could be internal or external as long as the government's in charge of solving the problem. So you got a wall, you got whatever, I think. I mean, I'm just riffing. I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not sure I've got it fully clear, but I feel like the immigrant fits the bill of like the quote in this book, organized ethnic repression. On the other hand, globalists also do it. Klaus Schwab does it. And the, when they said there should be an international police force that scares people into na- being nationalistic, that's the globalists. That's Klaus yeah. Schwab. Like our fear of what they're actually doing gets us to cohere and march on Washington. Right. Because we want to maintain our nation. State. Yeah. But you can't, I can't help that because I mean, I, not no, that, it's I mean, genius. I think our nation state, is, it's too big. You know, I mean, I think it'd be nice if we could break up like the Soviet Union peacefully and all that, but it's not going to happen. That's the genius of it all. That's like the malaise that we experience when you when you truly awaken, you get depressed, like you get demoralized, like it's it's genius. So here's the question that, you know, when I think about, I think sometimes, well, I'll have a podcast. I don't know if I will, but I, you know, my, my central question would be, how does, how do you live? Like, yeah. How do you live your life? Like sometimes my husband and I will be talking and he'll be like, you know, just, you know, just going through the litany of all the things that were wrong. He arrived way more quickly at the station than I did on everything wrong. And I'll just say, okay, how do we live? How do you live a joyful life? How do you protect your family and your children? How do you protect your mind? How do you not let them break your brain? Well, I will tell you, when I was doing daily news every day, I it can't was imagine. no, I couldn't. It was grueling. It was grueling and it was never ending. And you could never really crack the code on anything or see any patterns emerging because it was just too much. It was just a fire hose right. every day of bad stuff. And like my mother told me when I first started radio, if you're not going to be positive, don't even bother. I was hoping you'd bring your mother out. Definitely. And I was just like, how do you not be negative, mom? It's just all news. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. Nobody needs you telling them what they already know. (laughs) So so it took me so long to get positive, to really understand it. And and when it was every day, I really could not maintain that at all. And I said, I got to step back and see what the real answer is. There has to be an answer. And I was like, I know I've got to crack the code. There has to be an answer. And... I'm not even saying that, like, I totally, uh, you know, just for all my Catholic listeners, I do not say the rosary. Like, I almost never say the rosary, which is a tell that, like, I've got a lot of spiritual work to do. But like my mother said, when she was 19, she just decided it was a better way to live. Right. And I believe and I understand the problems of the Catholic Church. I think the Catholic Church was infiltrated from the 12th century. And I was raised by incredibly staunch Catholics who told me every day how completely corrupt the Catholic Church was, how it was infiltrated by immoral people who were like were absolutely not Catholic and all that kind of stuff. So I knew. But they also taught me that the church is the people. And I cannot really find fault with Christ's message or a a body of people who ha- who really keep alive that flame of all the intellectual contributions to, and I'm just going to say Catholic because I don't know any other religion, to Catholic thought 
as really, I would say, and other religions might be the same. My priest friend is going to like say, they're not, there's not, I'm not saying, I just right. don't know because I've never done it. But, but I think that that is the answer that you have to. And, and as when I was reading the Yoga Sutras by Sw uh, Swami Sachidananda, was the guy who wrote this version. Patanjali was the guy who wrote originally 3,500 years ago. But he what said the, the question, no, that was the, I wish I had on my shelf that, um, that your, that your, the question of the existence of God is unanswerable and irrelevant right. because the answer to how to live is exactly the same. Free yourself from desire because that's how to be like happy here. And that's how you're going right. to transcend. So even even the desire for a better better world, like even our friend mutual friend Bobby said, like he said, I think somewhere in the Bible it's like we're not supposed to worry too much about the big picture stuff on Earth. <laughs> now, of course, that would be an opiate of the masses, but on the other hand, just because you know, so what's wrong with that? I love opiates, <laughs> <laughs> but the non addictive kind. Whatever, if I could have them forever and still sleep at night, like it would be fine. But yeah, so I think that the that the answer is to just keep your feet on the ground. And what my favorite part of the Bible is, uh, God created heaven and earth and said it was good. So every time I kick my feet up and I have myself a, a Najoni, I think <laughs> I, you know, this is God. God is good, and I'm allowed to enjoy this. He wouldn't have given us yeah. good. The earth, he said, the earth was good. Like we are meant to enjoy it. And it's, and it, it would be actually, I think a sin not to. to not. And that's, and there it's, it's the Prince of lies. Like he's got the darkness just is a blanket over us. And if we allow that, I mean, we should be awake because we need discernment for when the antichrist comes. But other than that, like I, you have to stay awake. And I think you absolutely have to have your cocktails or your hugs or whatever it is with the people you love. And I think it's relationships and stuff are most important. I mean, not to get philosophical, but that's honestly my answer. And, and that keeps me happy because the people I love are happy and healthy, but they are really trying to hit that. Oh, they're very much trying to hit that. And that's why I think gathering in uh, person, loving your family. I mean, I, I I'm hundred percent with you. I wasn't raised Catholic, but you know, I've been on a search for sure. I have a conclusion here is that uh, my takeaway from this whole thing was that only fear and danger will keep the structure intact. And I actually, another takeaway, which from the beginning of the book was that the whole thing was quite Marxist, that the whole structure of society relies on war and repression. Yeah. And I love it. Only fear and danger. I mean, think about the difference of that versus peace and prosperity. Yeah. And Jesus's message and uh, are the lilies of the field. You know, why not? I think that was in the gospel recently. Like, what are you worried about? So yeah. I think a real, any libertarian would see this and just say, like, all you have to do is, is as Ron Paul said, just stop. Like, how are we supposed to end the war in the Middle East? He said, just come home. Right. I know. And people will tell you a million reasons why you can't do it. Yeah. But it's always the assumption that they will not speak is that because my, this, the hierarchy that I have attained a position in will change. Right. And, and that's what this is all about. But it was really a shock, but it was so easy to read. You read it twice. I read it. I read it in one day recently, but I definitely read it twice back in the day. It's well worth reading and I'll attach the PDF. Oh, I think it's very much well worth reading. And it, it also reframes where you think you are. Mm -hmm. It actually felt it was kind of liberating. 
Because it's like, A, I'm not going to change anything, but B, I don't really have to spend my life trying to crack the code on the true nature of power on earth and in the universe. I got the universe. I got, I'm, I'm, I landed where I want to on the universe question and on earth, these jerks are doing this stuff and, you know, and they're obviously, (laughs) they're always going to do it. Yeah. Unless tech outpaces them. And that's another hopeful thing I got out of it is that I think this was a problem of tech that tech would liberate the people and they, and so I think that most of their strategy is to withhold tech from us. I think that's most withhold advancements because it would just be too equalizing. Right. And they only, they only want us to have the tech that enslaves us to them. Right. It's so they funnel it all. They funnel it all into the war state and big tech came out of the war state. So I feel like if they lose control, Maybe that's the race for AI is to make sure they never lose control. But again, that Kaczynski book, he says in there, they might, now he's out of it because they didn't even let him read newspapers or anything or like USA Today. Well, he's, he's, also he's dead, dead now. now. Yes, right. But, <laughs> but he did say that, uh, that they could lose control of the tech. And for the first time ever, I kind of believe it just because of how scared this thing sounded. I, although I agree with you. I don't think it's like what it is, what you see is what you get here, but I think it's enough. Yeah, I mean, it could be um, a facsimile of what it was, yes. right? Yes. A, a representation of what it was. But I, it was great to read it, and I so enjoyed hearing all your thoughts on it. And I always love talking to you. It is such a pleasure. Did did we miss anything from your observations? Um, well, there was just one. There was one passage that I just burst out laughing. It was talking about uh, the societal parts of war. Just to edit at the end, war is a general social release. The psychological function enables, okay, it said, it says, um, it's a psychological function serving the same purpose for a society as do the holiday, the celebration, and the orgy for the individual. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as you do. So this is Dr. Strangelove. These guys. Or or we can have some people over for Christmas and an orgy. (laughs) I don't know. All right, now I'm including Dr. Strangelove in the show notes because we have, they have jumped the shark with that one. So it is such a privilege. You must, I hope that you, well, I hope you do what makes you happy, which is what you said to me about like, oh, I'm a little busy. I can't, don't know if I can keep the podcast going. You're like, do it, do it if it makes you happy. Not do what thou wilt, but right. do what you wish to do. Do what's right, Different. yes, do what you yeah. think is right. So uh, I hope that that's where you come around. I think it'd be fantastic at it. But it's doing a podcast. Yeah, or at least we can do it together. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Uh, so let's pick another topic and when we get around to it and do it again soon. We'd love to. Thank you so Thanks, much, Monica. Monica.